sports is just my excuse to write about people. Greg Doyle, a master wordsmith who's interviewed the heaviest hitters in all of Hoosier sport. Jim Irsay. Passionate, loving, flawed, human. Andrew Luck. Nerdy, humble, beautiful human being. Tamika Catchings. Hero. Bob Knight. Complicated, complex. That just scratches the surface of our conversation with award-winning Indie Star columnist Greg Doyle. His journey from Hawaii to Georgia to Indianapolis. Why his dad lived in a chicken coop. And Doyle's take on the Colts, Pacers, and all things Indiana sports. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. In the NBA, there's the haves and the have-nots as far as attracting players. And we live in a have-not city. We all know that. But the Pacers are trying their best. You asked me, you say Indianapolis Colts, and I think Titanic. Greg Doyle, a pull-no-punches type of journalist. Well, sort of. He's been in the ring with UFC boxer Chris Lights Out Lytle, which you'll hear about a bit later in the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. Welcome. I'm Gary Dick. Well, Doyle was born in Hawaii, the son of a Vietnam vet. He moved around a bunch as a kid, grew up in Oklahoma and Mississippi, and wound up going to high school in Macon, Georgia, where he was a three-time All-State athlete. An experience, he says, makes him well-suited to write about athlete sports and just ordinary people. Doyle's writing skills have earned the respect of his peers. He's been named the nation's top sports columnist by the Associated Press multiple times. And I'm pleased to be joined now by indie star columnist, Greg Doyle. Greg, uh, welcome to the podcast. Gary, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Hey, this, I mean, to me anyway, I I think this is a great time of year. You know, fall, the, the temps are beginning slowly but surely to drop a little bit. The weather getting more comfortable, but college has kicked off. By the time this podcast airs, the NFL will have kicked off. You've got playoff baseball around the corner. I got to ask you about the Colts, uh, though. All eyes on the Colts. You got the Jonathan Taylor drama. Uh, just, just when I say Indianapolis Colts, your take heading into this uh, season, I don't think anybody knows what to expect. No, but I guess if, if we're going to do like word association, you ask me, you say Indianapolis Colts, and I think Titanic. <laughs> it's you know the the ship's sinking now. It's it could it could come back. Yeah, Shane Steichen, the new coach, might be really good. He might not. There's no way to know. You know, Colts fans will tell you, "Oh, he's going to be great." Yeah, how right. do you know that? You don't know. I he might be great, but as you say, well, this this will be airing after the season starts. Maybe Jonathan Taylor. There'll be some clarity in there. Although yeah. I doubt it. You know, he's on the physically unable to perform list for four weeks. They can't remove him from that. Probably can't trade him. Not not legally can't, but no one will want him. Yeah. Yet. So, because he can't play for four weeks. So, probably there's no change there. The Colts are in trouble. They, they are. But then again, this was supposed to be a the culture in trouble kind of season. They've got a, a rookie quarterback, running back, will play. They don't have a lot of talent. People need to lower their expectations. It's not going to be a good season. What, what, what do you think about uh, – I know you have an opinion uh, because I think you wrote a piece on it this week uh, on Jonathan Taylor on, you know, a lot of finger pointing going on. In your view, is this on the Colts or on Jonathan Taylor and his agent? It, it takes a village to create something as ugly as this. So no no one's hands are clean, to be very clear about that. 
including from the Colts side. Ursay has sent out a couple tweets that didn't help. Chris Ballard has kind of negotiated in the media by saying, you know, he he wants money, basically by saying he wants money, but he was hurt last year. We, we won four games. In other words, how valuable could he be? He keeps saying we only won four games, so he's not that valuable. So that doesn't help. I'm not saying Ballard's wrong. I'm not saying Ursay's tweets were wrong. Going public with that doesn't help. Having said that, you know, not everybody's tied. Somebody has to be the bigger villain in this. And it's Jonathan Taylor without question. He's uh, something's changed. Something fundamental has changed. You know, we don't always know everything. So we don't really know why something has changed fundamentally with Jonathan Taylor. He has got a new agent, and his new agent is a moron who represents professional wrestlers and believes in the theory that all attention is good attention. And in the NFL, but especially in this market, no, it's not. So Taylor's changed. His negotiating tactics are ugly, and the Colts are pushing back as they have the right to do. So this yeah. is Taylor's fault. The agent works for him. You know, we can say it's the agent's fault. He works for you, Taylor. You know, once upon a time, you were very, very impressive. Please come back to that guy. Yeah. Hey, how about the – I want to talk about the other uh, big major league franchise. Uh, the Pacers seems to be – I'd be interested in your take – kind of righted the ship. There seems to be you know, a little excitement down there. Obviously, the field house – Big changes uh, there uh, in the uh, in the venue, but in terms of the on court team, what what are your thoughts on the, the kind of the new look Pacers? Well, they're they're trying their best. I mean, you know, they're they're trying their absolute best. That this is not the NFL where parity matters, and and every single city in the NFL is a, is a market. You know, because the the TV finds you, and you know, in the NBA, there's the haves and the have-nots as far as attracting players. And we live in a have-not city. We all know that. But the Pacers are trying their best, and they've got good young talent. They're exciting, and they're going to try and maybe win half their games, and we just got to have to appreciate how hard they're trying, and they will be a fun product. Kind of the Colts could be fun. The Colts won't be good, but Richardson, he'll be fun. The Pacers are striving to be fun and just hoping someday – it hadn't happened yet – hoping someday to just get really kind of lucky in a way and luck into, stumble onto, for example, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. The Bucks stumbled onto him. You know, they're hoping someday to stumble onto something like that and we'll see what happens. They haven't stumbled onto him yet, but we'll see. Yeah. You have been in Indy for now uh, almost a decade. Uh, arrived, I think, in 2014. And uh, in doing a little little research, I think your first or one of your first uh, columns, kind of an introduction to Indianapolis, you talked about, you know, to your readers, these are your teams, your town. I'm not one of your people yet, but I will be. I will be part of the city. As you look at the the past 10 decades, have, have you lived up to that? Do you feel you're a part uh, of Indianapolis, kind of the vibe in the city? Um, all I can tell you is I've tried as hard as I possibly can. No one, you know, whether I am or not, I don't know. I guess that I, I don't know. That's for someone else to say. But no one's no one could have possibly taken this job and tried harder than me. I have immersed myself pro college, high school, written about youth sports, written about just normal, quote, quote, normal people yeah. that aren't famous, but tried to shine the light on them. I've, I've done what I can. And there's all kinds of metrics we can look at, and I'm not going to do it, but that would say, yeah, I've done a pretty good job of being part of the city and people have noticed. But yeah. ultimately, whoever's listening has to decide that. And it all comes down to a popularity contest. There are people, and, and, and the way I, I say that, because Social media makes the world look that way. And you get on Twitter or Facebook or wherever else, and it looks like, oh, I'm I'm popular because look what's happening here. Or, oh, I'm not popular because look what's happening here. Social media is not real. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's it's not 
it's it's real, but it's not accurate. So I, you know, people can think what they want, but uh, the big picture, I'm pretty pleased with how these nine years have gone. Yeah, you know, Indy, and you mentioned it there in the the kind of the breadth uh, of the of the coverage of the sports and the levels of competition you cover. Would seem that Indianapolis and more broadly Indiana is a pretty good pretty good place to cover sports. Uh, would you agree with that? Incredible place. Yeah, we we have. You know, some cities, I wouldn't be great, greatly suited, I should say, in some cities. Like, I don't want to be in New York. I don't want to be in L.A. I don't want to be in D.C. I don't want to be in places where you kind of have to write about the pro sports only. Not that there's anything wrong with pro sports, but th- we have a cross-section of high school, college, and pro, and all three matter greatly. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful for someone like me because I don't want to ride off the Colts every day or the Pacers. I would like to go to a Purdue game or an IU game. I'd like to go to a high school state championship game or just write about some some kid at Ron Colley. You know, I just I like writing about people. And this yeah. is a job in this market. There's a lot of people playing a lot of different sports that's perfect for someone like me. There are other big timer folks that just want to follow around the big team. In fact, the some of the people that have had the job before me just wanted to follow around the Colts and the Pacers and think that was good enough. It's not good enough. In this market, we care about the little person, so to speak, including people like me when I was in high school. We care about – you don't have to be world famous to be cared about in this market, and I love that. You know, you mentioned high school sports. You cover it now, but you played it. You uh, you know, at a, at a high level, you were an all-state baseball and soccer player in Georgia, right? I was, yeah. Soccer one year, baseball two, and growing up in sports like I did, loving sports. You know, this job I have is just an extension of that. So when you, when you play sports and then you think, how can I stay involved somehow? I wasn't good enough to play pro anything, but I enjoy it and I love it. And those are memories that whether you're all state or, or you played or you're on the team and, you know, didn't play, but you hugged your teammates when they came back to the bench. Those are moments that sustain you and carry you. And that camaraderie just goes and goes and goes. So I'm grateful to have had that. And I also like having that in my back pocket. Cause I, you know, people on Twitter. Are, oh, sure. Are mean. Right. Yeah, And they say, oh, you never played the game. And I just love to say, <laughs> how many people in this conversation, show of hands, who's all saying two sports in this conversation? And then I'm putting my little Twitter emoji hand up. <laughs> or I'll say, I love this too. Or how many people have had five amateur boxing fights and won four of them? Show of hands. And I'll show, you know, raise my little emoji hand. So it, it's, it doesn't mean anything, but it's just a nice little comeback when someone tries to play the, oh, you didn't play. Yeah, I did play. I didn't play yeah. for the Colts, but I did play. I played more than you, probably, whoever you are. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about boxing, because that's fascinating to me. You were 4-0 as an amateur boxer, and you kind of came out of came out of retirement, so to speak. And you fought Chris Lytle, right? Yeah, I'm not very smart. That wasn't smart. <laughs> I was going to say, what the yeah, heck? I, I was 4-0, and I, sh- I was undefeated. I was 4-0 with three knockouts, and not that I was a huge record, but it was my record, and four- that yeah. O looks pretty good. But then uh, Rocksteady Boxing, which is a yes. – do you know yes. Rocksteady Boxing? I- I'm familiar with it, yes, yes. Yeah, they it's a it's a gym for Parkinson's patients. Parkinson's, they don't fight yes. each other. Yeah, yeah. it's just – it's it's high intensity. Scott Newman, the former prosecutor yes. of Marion County, got Parkinson's, started doing boxing workouts in his garage, noticed that the intensity of the workouts really – Risk trained the brain. Parkinson's takes the brain connection to the muscles that weakens it. Boxing workouts just gets that um, network going again. So anyway, he started this little gym, and now Rock City Boxing is in gyms. It is in like 800, 80, I'm sorry, eighty countries and every state no in America. See, I like, didn't know. I didn't know that. We actually did a okay. story on the show sometime when he probably right after he started. I didn't realize it expanded that much. Oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere because it works. Now it doesn't. Does it heal? Parkinson's? No. 
But does it stop the progression often in its tracks? It absolutely does. And it gives these folks, these parkies, as they call themselves, a network, a place to be. And anyway, they had a fundraiser about eight years ago, and they uh, wanted to sell tickets. And they always have um, amateur boxing, and then they wanted to have a headliner. And they thought, well, let's get Chris Lytle in here as a headliner, and uh, maybe he can fight me. And so we we did a headliner. We fought for three rounds. And the thing is, can I, can I curse or can I not curse? Yeah, you can. Okay. So backstage – Lytle and I are sitting there getting ready to go go fight, and we're over friendly. I know him a little bit, and and he's his shirt is off, and he's tattooed and, and monstrous. He fought in the UFC for ten years, yeah, and, exactly. And he says to me, "Hey, I uh, you know I know your brain, it's, your job is about your brain, so I'm going to go easy on your head, but I am going to try and hit you in the body so hard that you shit yourself." <laughs> and I will tell you that he almost succeeded at that exact moment because that's pretty frightening. Oh, what was it like to be in the in the ring with that guy? I mean, I can't imagine. Um, I'm not smart, as I yeah. say. I was – listen, boxing is a dance. And whoever's better, unless you're not – unless you're fighting for real, and we weren't fighting for yeah. real, Yeah. whoever's better leads the dance. And so whoever's lesser, me, uh, it's kind of up to me to go as hard as I want to go, and then the guy better will will allow me to, and then every now and then let me know, like a like a big dog lets a little dog know, uh-oh, you're not in charge here. Yeah. So I spent three rounds chasing Lytle around the ring, <laughs> and he spent three rounds letting me know that you're you don't deserve to chase me around the ring. So he he battered me pretty good, but it was a great time. I was so tired afterwards because the stressful the stress of boxing it wears you out. People wonder how do you train for hours and weeks and whatever. Yeah. And these UFC fighters, these boxers are exhausted after one round. How is that impossible? Well, because the tension, the stress in your body and your muscles of just, I don't know if it's fear or whatever it is, you're tense for three whole minutes. It wears your body out. It just wipes you out. And so anyway, after three rounds, I was toast. Wow. And of course, Lionel's been doing this his whole life. So to him, he probably could have gone on forever. So I'm, I'm collapsing in the corner when it's over. And Lionel does a backflip for the crowd. And everybody, everybody's loving it. Everybody's <laughs> laughing at Lionel's backflip. And I saw that in the corner of my eye. And I walked into the middle of the ring and did a little somersault. And I don't think everybody loved that. That's okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. What what do you what do you do uh, when you're not writing? What what do you do? Uh, what do you do to kind of unwind, uh, kind of in your downtime? Um, looking at him now, my dog Cap. He's a greyhound. I got him about eight months ago. He's a retired. It's called a lurcher. It's a mostly greyhound, seven eighths greyhound in his case, one eighth hunting dog. So he wasn't a pro racer. He was a pro hunter. Hunters had him, mean, but he was an employee for seven years. Hmm. So, but then he lost a step, I guess. And so they, he went to a rescue place and I adopted him and he's my guy. Yeah. Cap is my guy. And I, you know, I've been here for nine years and the first eight years were oftentimes a struggle, just people struggle. I've got two kids. They're getting older and going through what they go through. And, you know, I was coming off a divorce here. A lot of things going on, like everybody has. Cap has been my, Cap has been my hero. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Back to your writing, because you have won numerous awards, national awards. How would you describe your writing style? Because, and you mentioned this earlier, you write about sports, but you really write about people. And you, 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 I know, write a lot about the human side uh, of sport. How would you, how would you describe your, your writing style? Well, first of all, the topics, I, sports is just my excuse to write about people. So yeah, I'm a sports writer, but but sports are just my excuse to write about somebody with Parkinson's, for example. Mm-hmm. But if there's a basketball somewhere in the background, I'm writing about you. So, uh, but my style, I guess I would say, is just conversational. I yeah. I write like I talk. 
At least I tried to. And, and I know I do, actually, because there have been a couple of times, including a couple of days ago, trying to think, what was the story I did this on? Jonathan Taylor, I had the interview. Okay, Chris Ballard met with the media the day after roster cutdown day. And you and I are taping this two days after that. Yeah. Well, the, the Ballard spoke with us about Jonathan Taylor, and he's still here, and why is he still here? And it was a late afternoon press conference. My deadline's coming up, and I'm driving home, drive from home with my dog, Cap, because I love him so much. And so as I'm driving home, I've got my phone I'm emailing to myself with a, what do you call it? A voice, voice recognition, yeah. just, yep. just speaking. And I'm dictating my story. I'm writing it, it verbally. And, and I can do that because yeah. I write like I talk. Yeah. And I just, yeah. and so go back and anybody listen, go back and look at that story. Anybody tell me if you can see a difference. That is, I wrote that story by talking it. So anyway, that, that is my style. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, you, you are obviously passionate about what you do. And as a columnist, you 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 know you can do that and get get really engaged with with the subject matter. I I'm not going to ask you your favorite story, but I've got to believe that one of them had to be Tyler Trent, the uh, the Purdue the Purdue super fan who got national attention and what a story that was. Talk about that experience because you you became very close uh, to Tyler and his his family in that process. Yeah, sports as I say is an excuse to write about people, and I wrote about him once back when he was had cancer but was had was beating it and so i wrote about him once and then maybe maybe a second time and but i stayed in touch with him because he's, he's a great kid and then when cancer came back it was no longer about journalism it was just he's a sweet kid and he wants to be a sports writer and he likes me and i like him and so i'm gonna go see him and i i've got a lot of feelings about about tyler about everything about this i could go on forever but i i just would like to specify say this specifically is that people used tyler at the end and I don't, I, I mean, journalists hmm. used yeah. him. Go back and, or just people, everybody, this happened. Sports writers, radio, mainly radio and TV people would go visit Tyler, take a selfie. Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm with Tyler. And then posted, it was one guy in town who doesn't have a radio show anymore because he's doesn't deserve to, literally did a show from Tyler Trent's deathbed. Tyler was dying. This guy did a show from his bed. And, and and people out there will look at that and go, oh, look how sweet that is. No, it's not sweet. No, it's it's opportunistic. You're you're holding up Tyler as a human shield. Hey, people like me. Look what I'm doing. I didn't like that. Now Tyler loved it. Look, Tyler loved it. I don't criticize. He liked the attention. He uh, the he liked being involved. He loved it. But I I question the motives of a lot of people. So I'm saying all that to say that when Tyler died, you know, I found out. And that night, obviously, and 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 wrote a story because I knew I knew I had to. My bosses had, had asked me, will, "Will you write his obituary when it happens?" They actually asked me, "Will you write it?" You know, we, in in the journalism business, you write obituaries yep. from a lot of people before yep. they die. Yeah, you, you right. do that. Yeah, yeah. For so when someone, especially when you know something's coming, like I guarantee you, every every newspaper in the country has a has a Joe Biden obituary, has a Donald Trump obituary. It's just what you do. That bosses asked me, you know, Tyler was in his last days and. I knew that they asked me if I wanted to write my obituary, uh, his obituary. And I said, I can't, I can't do it. I can't go there until it happens. I don't know how it's going to feel. So it happened. And I went there and I wrote that. And um, I've had so many chances, opportunities to write about Tyler since then. And I did it once one year anniversary. I wrote about here's the cancer fighting that he tried to do and is, is doing even now he donated some stem cells or whatever he donated. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. And here's the progress they've made. Tyler Trent, you know, we, we might solve cancer someday. I wrote this. We might cure cancer someday. And Tyler Trent might be the one to do it. And would you say you're surprised by that? No. So I, I have written one update story on Tyler. But I've been asked to write 10 more by different people for, for legitimate reasons. And I can't I can't do it. I, I won't do it. He wasn't a story to me over yeah. time. He He was not. And his family actually asked me to write his book. And I couldn't. I just. I can't do it. I couldn't do it. And uh, so anyway, you know, and I know you, you were used the word favorite to not, yeah. not like, I just loved writing. You yeah. use favorite as a impactful, memorable story. Right. And, and certainly I'll never, there will never be another Tyler Trent. This world will never see one, someone like him again, which means I'll never write about somebody like that again. But that, that story, and it's not, well, it was me. I mean, the, that family lost their kid, but that, that story took a chunk out of me that I haven't gotten back yet. Yeah. Much more with Indy Star columnist Greg Doyle uh, coming up. We'll talk about uh, uh, growing up, uh, uh, the younger days with Greg Doyle, and uh, also maybe play some uh, some name association when the Business and Beyond podcast returns. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Indie Star columnist Greg Doyle. And Greg, uh, uh, growing up, you you moved around a lot, right? You grew up in Oklahoma and Mississippi, high school in in Macon, Georgia. You were actually actually born in Hawaii, right? Yeah, my uh, my dad was in the military, so I followed okay. him a little bit. I'm not a pure military brat, but I did was born in Hawaii because he was in Vietnam. So anyway, my dad's moved around quite a bit, taking different jobs, different careers, and I followed him. And my parents got divorced, and so that caused a split, and I went with dad. So yeah, um, Indiana is, I believe, my 11th state. I can go back and figure it out, but it's something like my 11th state. And I lived in Ohio before I came here for CBSSports.com for 10 years. That's the longest I've ever lived anywhere, 10 years. I'm getting close to my ninth year, completed ninth year here. When all said and done, Indiana is going to be where I have lived the longest. I'm, I'm going to die here, you know. Yeah. So this is my home. You mentioned your dad, and I know, you know, everybody's got role models, a role model, heroes. Uh, for you, it's your dad, I think, right? Yeah, my dad. People talk about poverty, and 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 there are, you know, millions of people have overcome poverty. I've never heard of anybody more impoverished than my dad now really? and i know there have been yeah and you know people that literally live on a sidewalk okay that that is more impoverished than my dad that's that's yeah. a good point that i just made to undercut myself <laughs> but my dad was homeless for a time and lived in a chicken coop with his mom and because their, their house burned down they they had to they spent a christmas in a chicken coop anyway my dad was oh. 10 kids Two-bedroom home, no electricity, no water back in Oklahoma. I mean, dirt poor. Wow. He was the, he's the youngest of 10. He was the first person in his family to go to college first. 
not not to graduate, but just to go. Yeah. So he he went to college, graduated, went to law school, graduated, got his master's, obviously lost law school, got his doctorate, whatever that is in law, uh, was offered jobs to become uh, the dean of law schools at a few places, didn't take them. Wow. Became a lawyer, became a judge, won election, become a judge. So when I write about people who have overcome whatever they've overcome to become what they have become, you know, I've got an example of my dad just yeah. overcoming what he did. And, and and I'm also very aware that it takes a village to raise someone like that. It takes a lot of people. You don't just do it by yourself. You know, my dad had my mom. He had his older brother and sisters. He had his mom, had an advisor at high school. So we don't do it alone, but it takes some sort of special. Like, I didn't have to do that. I'll never know. And I think I know the answer. The answer is no. Could I have done what my dad did? Probably not. Probably not. I, I'm aware that I was born into a very to use a word, privileged situation that people don't get. And certainly mm-hmm. people with my family line don't get, but I got it because of my dad. So yeah, he's my hero. He's my role model for sure. Yeah. You mentioned you moved uh, moved around uh, a bit. And and also in your professional life too, you mentioned uh, you mentioned cbssports.com. Uh, you wrote sports in Tampa, Tampa Tribune, Miami Herald, Charlotte Observer. You also, you've written two books, right? One on Oh, Kentucky. yeah. How'd bad that books. go? Really? Yeah, they're bad. They're not good. They're um. <laughs> why? Why I mean, the writing? That? Well, the writing style is my style. So whether you think my writing style is good or bad, okay, it's that. But yeah. but you know, there's a higher standard for a book. There should be. And both of my books were. I mean, they fell into my lap. And I'm not going to say no. I'll say no now. I've said no to several books since. I, I don't. I didn't enjoy. I I love writing stories. In fact, on my we're talking right now on my Dell. On my Dell, my laptop, I have a, an empty file. That's my story file. You know, I open it and, and rename it, whatever I'm writing about. Colts play Eagles. You know, I, I save it. But that empty shell has my name by Greg Doyle, Indy Star. And at the very top in italics, it says, I wonder what I'll write. Because, and that's, I read that before every story I write because I love it. And, and people ask me and wonder, why do you write so long? Because I like it. Because I'm having a good time, dummy. I yeah. love what I do. A lot of people, a lot of people write just like they jog, they just want to be done. Once you start, you can't wait till you're finished. You love having run, you love having written, but you don't want to do it the actual, I love writing. I love it. I didn't love writing a book in part because I was already doing full-time writing on the side. So it was like in my spare time, let's go write. It didn't feel real. It felt, it felt cold, but also my books are glorified magazine articles. One of them was about a look at Kentucky's best players ever. What are they doing now? So it's 25 or 30 players I found, or some of them are dead, and just wrote 25 or 30 mini features. So that's not a book. I mean, it is. It's in a book, but it's not a book. And then my story about Duke basketball, Coach K. Krzyzewski, this happened 25 years ago. He was coming out with his own book, a biography, literally the next year. So when I started doing this unauthorized bio, Coach K put the word out to everybody, please don't talk to Greg Doyle because I'm doing my book. Really? And, yeah. And it, what happened was I, no one knew I was doing that book. I mean, coach Kate did eventually, I stupidly asked him, Hey, can I interview you for my book? <laughs> once he saw, once he got that letter in the mail or however he got it, my access dried up. I remember, I remember it. I went from getting people on the phone. They're calling me back. Jay Billis, people like that were calling me back. And I was talking to him. And then one day it dried up, like no one called back. And I saw Jay Billis later. I think it was Billis a year or two later and told him that. And I said, I can't figure out what happened. And he goes, what happened was coach Kate sent a letter out to people saying, Coach K didn't say, don't talk to me. He didn't say that. He said something like, Greg's doing an unauthorized bio. 
Keep that in mind. And I'm doing a, I'm doing an authorized <laughs> bio next year. Keep that in mind if he contacts you. So anyway, that book was written. A, a, a book about Duke and Coach K was written purely on clips from the Charlotte Observer going back 30 years. That's yeah. not a book. Yeah. That's a so anyway, I someday I hope to write fiction. Um, I started a fiction book about 20 years ago, and I I got two chapters in and realized I was rewriting the book Fight Club. Mm-hmm. I was just rewriting it. Like yeah. it was about a sports writer, of course it was, who falls asleep. And while he's asleep, he goes off and does all these crazy things. And I got two chapters in before I realized my favorite book is Fight Club. I'm rewriting <laughs> it. So I I I stopped writing that one. Yeah. I'm at book failure, is my point. Book uh, failure. But you're gonna you're gonna resurrect one day, uh, get back into fiction writing, you think? I hope. You know, I'm gonna retire at some point and I'm a terrible retire person. I will be terrible. I don't play golf. I don't I don't like to garden. You know, I, I do things to keep busy, but I'll always have a dog and I like to go to the gym, but that's not enough. And I, as I told you before, I love to write. I love the act of writing. And once I'm not doing it for a job, I'm going to want to do it. And it all come down to, do I have an idea? You know, I don't know. I, one thing I love about sports and the people, stories I write about is I don't need an idea. Everybody's interesting their own story. Just tell me what you know about you and I'll write that I'm hooked. But if I got to just come up in my own head with, with some idea, I haven't done it yet. I haven't really tried yet, but I haven't been able to do it yet easily. We'll see if I can do it at all. Yeah. You mentioned Coach K. You uh, ha- have interviewed uh, and been around, obviously, a lot uh, of, of high-profile athletes uh, and, and others. want to do a little little name uh, association uh, with you now, Greg, if we could. Uh, and just tell me your first thoughts when you hear the name Jim Ursay. Passionate, loving, flawed, human. And I would describe myself the same way, by the uh-huh. way. I'd use those four words too. Flawed, yeah. don't don't read flawed. Don't flawed. Yeah. You know what? Screw flawed. Flawed's the wrong word. Human. He's imperfect. He's human. I love Jim Mersey. Uh Andrew Luck. Nerdy, humble, beautiful human being, one of my favorite all-time athletes because He's so humble. I, I speak to, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm screwing up your word association. No, maybe. you're good. You're good. That's good. Okay. I speak to high schools and colleges sometimes, you know, not a lot, but I do. When I do, especially the younger kids, middle school, whatever, I tell them the most winning combination you can have is to be really good at something. Because I tell them, everybody in here, in this classroom, there are people that are, you're, there's the most handsome kid in this classroom. There's the best writer. There's the best athlete. There's the best whatever. And you know who you are. And guess what? The rest of the class, they know who you are too. You can screw that up by being arrogant about it. People want a reason not to like the best of us. They just do. And I'm not including me in the us. I'm just saying the best of the world. People want a reason to dislike them. Don't give it to them. The best thing you can do, the most charming thing you can do is be excellent at whatever you're excellent at and not let anybody know you know it. And that was Andrew Luck. And the truth is, I'm not sure even he knew it. You know, number one overall draft pick and all this. And I'm still not sure he knew how good he was. I love that about him. Peyton Manning. Uh, Don't know him at all. but. Brilliant, charming. Actually, I met him one time. You want my Peyton Manning story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the the, the star sent me to Denver when the Colts were going to play the Broncos. Might have been 15, 14 or 15. And they, you know, go go there a couple days early, right about Peyton Manning, and they're going to play Peyton. And so I went there, and I'm in the locker room, and Peyton's over at his locker getting dressed or whatever. And I don't know the rules in Denver. I, I just stupidly think I can go talk to him. So once he kind of turns around, this is after a practice, I walk up to him and a PR guy has been standing there for the sole purpose of guarding Peyton and to not let that happen. And this guy cuts me off. 
and Peyton, and this is greatness too. Yeah. Peyton turns to the guy or says, it's, it's okay. It's okay. And then he looks at me, he goes, come on, Greg, Greg, come over here. And I'm not telling you that story to say Peyton Manning knows my name. That's not yeah. the point. Yeah. He didn't know who I was. I guarantee you what happened was someone told him the Indy stars in town and Peyton said, well, what's the guy's name? What does he look like? So that he could make me feel that special. Uh, again, the story is not Peyton Manning knew my name. I promise you 24 hours yeah. earlier, he had no idea. Yeah. But in that moment he did. And he gave it to me. You know, he let me know that's a, a lot of athletes nowadays. A lot of coaches do this. You go to press conferences, you'll see coaches will throw out names of the people they like. Yeah. Well, Mike, I tell you what. And then the people that don't like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, they don't give you your name. They use it almost as a, as a, a bludgeon for the people they don't like. And as a rose petal for the people they do. So yeah. for Peyton to do that with no one watching, he's not sending a message to anybody, just me saying, you're welcome here. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. 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 Tamika Catchings. Hero. Hero. She's, uh, she has used her, her disability, her hearing issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if disabilities are wrong, if the right word. Forgive me if it's the wrong word. But she's used her hearing issues to raise awareness and money and to help. And, you know, she was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And she now has her Catch the Stars Foundation, and she's trying to help the world get better. So she didn't decide, look at the great run I had. I'm done. No, no. She's using the great run she had to try and make the world a better place. Bob Knight. Complicated. Complex. That's the obituary I have written. Forgive me for saying yeah. that, but I, I yeah. told you earlier, yeah. you know, in case this is spliced out, yeah. that newspapers have obituaries written yeah. for a lot of people. And I normally, I've never written an obituary in advance ever. I told you about Tyler, Trent, I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. I wasn't going to do it with Bobby Knight either. They asked me a while ago, will you do Bobby Knight? And by the time this airs in a week or two, he might, it might have already happened. I was told not long ago, we've all been told, there's rumors everywhere. So I'm not, this is, I'm not breaking news. I'm just telling you what I was told by someone that I think would know that it's, it's happening any day. Yeah. Now, it's been happening, quote, any day for about two months now. So he's just hanging on because that's Bob Knight. He is stubborn and he's he'll go when he feels like it. I've written his obituary because I was told any day and the emotion hit me like it, like we're about to have a world without Bob Knight. And I didn't fake it. I wrote a story about, oh, my gosh, you know, I wrote it in advance because that's what you do. And the story I wrote underscores I'm telling you all that just to say, yeah, very complicated, very complex. And I tried I grappled with as we all will, his legacy. Who? What is Bob Knight? Who was he? And if you try to say he's either or, you're wrong. Hmm. Well, he's the greatest coach ever, and that's what he is. Yeah, that's not all of it. Well, he was a son of a gun who did all these awful things and mean and gotten you know fights with whoever, and and that's what he is. Well, he did those things, but that's he's more. He's very very complicated. So that's what he is. Yeah. Okay. Two more. Matt Painter. Love him. Would like Matt Painter to be my neighbor someday. I, it won't happen because I can't afford wherever he lives. Uh, <laughs> I can't afford that. But he is, you know, I told you earlier about luck. Painter is the most normal. He is the most normal high major coach in any sport. You know, high major is what we say for basketball. Yep. But, you know, the NBA is, that's high major in the NFL. Mm. He's the most normal, humble. If he weren't six foot six, you'd never, if he was just my size walking around, you'd never know. A lot of coaches, they walk around, you know. You know, they're it's it's the it's the way they carry themselves, it's the clothes they wear, it's it's the people they have around them, it's the things they say. Yeah, you know, Matt Painter, you don't know. Even if you're talking to him after a game, he's on a podium talking about Purdue basketball team. You still have to check yourself and say, is this guy really the head coach of Purdue? Yeah, because he's so freaking normal. I love that. Yeah. 
Final one, Mike Woodson. Cool. He's the jazz man. He is cool. <laughs> and he's humble, too. He's a, a recurring theme here is humility. Woodson's humble. I mean, yeah. he's yeah. he's Mike Woodson. He scored 2,000 points, played in the NBA. He's coaching the NBA. He's coaching here. He is so humble, and he's cool. Like, when he talks, I just want to – if I could play a saxophone, I'd pl- that would be like – I'd be playing in the background as he talks because it just – he sounds like he's in a smoky, a smoky room with a saxophone playing. He's crooning whatever he's crooning. I like him a whole lot. I don't know him that well, but yeah. I like him a whole lot. Uh, uh, good stuff. What, what's next uh, for Greg Doyle? Obviously, you you you're you're writing your 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 column, all the things you do there. But uh, anything you you want to accomplish here in the next next five or ten years? Oh wow! I thought next. Well, what's next? Really quickly, and hopefully, it's going to should run for this post is I'm writing about the IHSAA again, the IHSAA and how I don't think they like kids. They work in a job where their job is to manage sports in our state. And I don't, they have rulings. Their rulings say, we don't like you kids. We don't like you. We like schools. We like coaches. We like principals. We like our salaries. Kids, we don't like you. So I've got a story. And I've written a bunch of these stories where the facts and the stories are unbelievable. Like you're all, you really can't believe them. But they're true. I've got one that you're not going to believe. I'm, I, you, you, I'm just telling you, you're not going to believe it. But it is true. So what's going next? Um, I, I've got a, I've got a bucket list, yeah. and uh, one of them is I want a Boston Terrier. I do. Uh, I want a Dachshund someday. Professionally, I have a bucket list, and I, you know, I shouldn't, and I shouldn't say this, but what's next for me is um, I want a Sagamore of the Wabash. And I don't know if okay. people say that or not. And and I don't say that what I have not said. And, and I want to I want to be in the Indiana Journalism Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And when I say those two things, what you've not heard me say is I belong in the Hall of Fame. I've earned. I heard me say that. I want to. I'm not done. I'm 50, whatever I am. Young, early 50s. Okay, fine. I'm 53. Um, <laughs> I'm not done yet. By the time I'm done, I hope somebody somewhere says, well done good and faithful servant. And uh, here's your Sagamore because you were a Hoosier. You know, I get emotional even thinking about that. And I hope someday somebody very important says, well done sports writer. You cared about our state. You, you, you lifted us up and you're going to be in the Indiana journalism hall of fame. So I'm about to get emotional. I I haven't earned it, but you asked me what's next for me. I I want those. And I want a docs. And a doctor, a great, great way to wrap up what has been a great podcast. Uh, Greg Doyle uh, has been a real treat to uh, have a conversation. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to your next and many future uh, columns as well. Thanks again. Gary, thanks. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. All right. And thank you for joining us on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment and beyond. And you can download every episode and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.